Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. We are welcoming a new show to iHeart and the DraftKings YouTube channel. It is called Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano. It's an insider's look at the NBA and the culture surrounding the league. Every week, the five-time All-Star and the number one pick in the 2010 NBA draft, John Wall will give his unique perspective on the hottest topics in the league and tell the best behind-the-scenes stories from his time in the NBA. So check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yeah, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. The Volume. Hoops Tonight is presented by FanDuel. The NBA is back and there's no better place to get in on the action than with FanDuel. This is my favorite sports betting app that is out there. It is safe and easy to use, easy to get your money in and out. I love that cash out feature. So if you're in good shape with one of your bets and you don't want to risk garbage time, you can get your money out quickly. Use promo code JasonT and download the FanDuel app today to make every moment more this NBA season. 21 plus and present in Arizona, Colorado, Connecticut, Indiana, Louisiana, permitted parishes only, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Tennessee, Virginia, or West Virginia. First online real money wager only. Refund issued as non-withdrawable site credit that expires in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text NEXT STEP to 53342 in Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut. 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Indiana, New Jersey, and Virginia. 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. one 877 8 Hope NY or text Hope NY to 467-369 in New York. In Tennessee Redline, dial 1-800-889-9789 in Tennessee. Visit www.1800gambler.net in West Virginia. All right, welcome to Hoops Tonight, presented by FanDuel here at The Volume. Happy Tuesday, everybody. Happy season opener day. I'm very excited to be back doing instant reaction shows. Late at night, getting the body readjusted to this new schedule. I'm very, very excited, though. It's going to be a really fun eight and a half months 
of basketball. We're going to keep it really simple tonight. We're going to dive into Lakers Warriors, and then we're going to dive into Celtic Sixers. And then tomorrow, I'll do a deep dive into the film from both of these games. You'll want to keep an eye on my Twitter feed because I'll have a lot of footage from both games there as well. And we'll kind of dive more into the intricate details of the game at that point. The big difference between doing it like this versus going the next day is you just get to see and learn a lot more the second time around. But thankfully, we have plenty of time to do that. You guys know the drill. Before we get started, subscribe to the Volumes YouTube channel so you don't miss any more of our videos. Follow me on Twitter at underscore JasonLT so you guys don't miss any show announcements. That'll be important in this early part of the season just so you know when we're going live at night. That's also where I put all of our footage breakdowns because we have some limitations about what we can use on YouTube. And then last but not least, if for whatever reason you miss one of these shows and you can't get back over to YouTube to finish them, you can find them wherever you get your podcasts under hoops tonight. We also have one additional announcement tonight. We are going to take, starting tonight, we're going to try to get in the habit of doing this for every one of these live shows, but we're going to take one or two questions from the chat. Um, our producer Ryan's going to come on and read some of those questions at the end of the show. I'll remind you guys here in a couple minutes, but definitely get some questions into the chat about this particular game and we will get to them at the end of the night. And on that note, let's talk some basketball. So as you guys know, I I typically like to try to find an overarching theme for any particular game. And I thought one of the themes from this particular game, this Lakers-Warriors game, which was a destructive blowout. I don't care about the late comeback from the Lakers. All you Laker fans have seen that movie before. That happened plenty last year when I thought they were even worse than this team was. Uh, Teams... It's just human nature. You let your foot off the gas when you have a big lead, especially a team like the Warriors that at this point is they, they don't have anything to prove during the regular season. This was a absolute destructive performance from the Warriors. They embarrassed and humiliated the Lakers just a few minutes after getting their rinks. And that's the way we're going to frame this game, not as a, oh, the Lakers got it back down to 11 with a few minutes left. Um, but the big theme that I wanted to kind of hit on to start this this show tonight is the value of talent down the roster. Those of you guys who have been listening to this show for a while know that this is something that I've been kind of keying on for a while. I don't think it used to be as value as valuable as it is now, but as the game has changed, I think it's more important than ever to have lots of good basketball players, not just a couple of really, really good basketball players, a concept that is completely lost on Rob Polinka and Jeannie Buss. If LeBron and AD play like I expect them to play this year, they're both top 10 players, like legit top 10 players in this league. You probably, LeBron, I have it four right now. Anthony Davis, when he's actually playing like the Anthony Davis that we know he's capable of is probably in that seven to eight range, right? He's right up there, you know, right behind Joel Embiid and Nikola, uh, Nikola Jokic, right? But the Warriors, they only have one player that I even consider a top 30 player in this league. When I did my top 25 player rankings this summer, I had uh, 29 players that I selected from a pool and then I shortened it down to 25. There were no Warriors on that list outside of Steph Curry. But the Warriors are a much, much, much better basketball team than the Los Angeles Lakers. Why is that? Because you don't just need top 30 players to win NBA basketball games. You need lots and lots of good players. Every Laker not named Russ, LeBron, and AD tonight combined for 32 points. Those are your three big investments on the Lakers payroll. Every non-Steph, Clay, Draymond warrior scored 68 points. 
That's more than double. They got utterly and completely dominated down the roster. Because in the modern NBA, you need talent down the roster. It's a lot, a lot of it has to do with how the game has changed from going, you know, 15 years ago, you'd have two, like a power forward and a center on the court. So it's like three out, two in versus what it is now where there's a lot more, a lot more speed and quickness and skill and it's five out. Back in those days, everybody's packing the paint. No one's taking a ton of threes. You could just lean on size and, and, and strength with those power positions and the roles are easier. But as we've gone towards five out, it's more important than ever to have five guys on the floor that can create their own shot. Five guys on the floor that could put the basketball on the floor, knock down a pull-up jump shot or driving kick to a teammate. You know, Kendrick Nunn's a solid player. Patrick Beverly, he's a solid basketball player. Austin Reeves, solid basketball player. Those are the third, fourth, and fifth best Lakers, in my opinion. Are any of those guys better than any of the top five, six, seven guys on the Golden State Warriors? No. This is a, this is a massive talent de deficit down the roster. Most of LA's rotation outside of LeBron and AD wouldn't even get minutes for the Warriors. Juan Toscano Anderson was completely out of the rotation by the time the Lakers made it to the play, or by the time the Warriors got to the playoffs last year. And then you see the difference in the offseason approach between these two teams. The Warriors are constantly looking for talent on the margins to supplement their roster. They place a great deal of value in their role players. We just saw two massive extensions handed out to Andrew Wiggins and Jordan Poole. Lakers, on the other hand, were obsessed with getting another star and shipped off all of their good role players. Contavious Caldwell-Pope and Kyle Kuzma to the Wizards. And then in the ensuing salary crunch, they lost Alex Crusoe as well. You can even see it in the trade targets this summer. It's like, they don't want Buddy Heald and Miles Turner. They don't want Boyan Bogdanovich and Rudy Gay and you know some, some of the quality role players that played for the Jazz. They wanted Kyrie Irving. And they, they, they keep telling you they want, they're, they're waiting for the right trade that makes them a true contender, which is just doublespeak for them wanting another star. The Warriors understand the value of role players, and the Lakers do not. The Lakers, run by clutch, think that it's LeBron James and Anthony Davis winning basketball games. Guess what? They combined for 58 points tonight got their ass kicked. It's just not how it works anymore. But I, I just wanted to kind of hit that like overarching topic for a second because I think it kind of paints a picture of the, of the difference between these two particular franchises. On that note, we can get into some of the basketball. I thought one of the, the key um, X's and O's concepts that drove the mismatch in tonight's game and the ability to generate quality shots was the value of having Kevon Looney, Draymond Green, and Andrew Wiggins in your front line. And the fact that those three guys, not only are they great defensive players at their position, Kevon Looney's an outstanding you know, classic center defender. Draymond Green is obviously the Swiss army knife that he is. And Andrew Wiggins is kind of known as like your, you know, stereotypical wing stopper, right? But the truth of the matter is, is all three of those guys can guard up and down multiple positions. Looney holds up well on switches. Draymond can guard one through five. Andrew Wiggins could hold his own in post mismatches against Anthony Davis. And so what you saw that specific concept do was disrupt the Lakers offense. One of the big things that Darvin Ham has done when he came into the Lakers is instill more actions or motion. Just the idea of not being so brute force and just dribbling the ball down the floor, giving it to LeBron and being like create a shot, but rather, hey, let's let's get into a horn set, let's run a couple cross screens, let's get into a dribble handoff, let's get people moving around a little bit, 
try to turn that corner and get downhill, then we can get into some driving kick, right? But one of the biggest problems of the LeBron, AD, Russ trio is all three of them can be guarded by a big, strong forward. The big, strong forward is like what you have to put on LeBron or he's just going to bully that guy every time down the floor. Anthony Davis is a finesse big nine times out of 10. He's not looking to bully you in the post. He's looking to shoot fadeaways over the top or top hook shots and things along those lines. And Russell Westbrook can't shoot and tries to pile through your chest and get to the rim. You know, the, everyone expected the LeBron Anthony Davis pick and roll to be kind of a staple of that era, but it's never been a staple of this era because every team in the NBA just switches that action every single time. So from the start of this game, and for the record, you need the right personnel to do it. And the Lakers will run into a lot of teams here over the course of the season where they just don't have the personnel and they will bully their way to the rim and destroy those teams offensively when they have those particular matchups. But when you have Kevon Looney, and you have Draymond Green, and you have Andrew Wiggins, they can just switch all that stuff. And you could really see that, especially early in the game, in that horrific first quarter for the Lakers offensively, when they kind of looked stagnant, and no one was turning the corner coming off of those actions, because they're just switching them. The only guy really getting downhill was Lonnie Walker, because they weren't switching it, right? You know, they're actually asking the guards to chase over the top on that. But, you know, I, I don't think the, the Warriors have the best defensive personnel in the league. They don't. Boston does. And we're going to talk about that more later. But they do have they do have core defensive personnel that is a great foundation to build on. And then when you put guys like Steph Curry, who competes on that end out there, and Klay Thompson, who, you know, one of the un, you know, one of the undertold stories of the 2022 finals was the job he did on Jalen Brown, sliding his feet and taking that contact in the chest, shutting down Boston's driving kick. They've got three really good foundational defenders, and then everyone else on the roster competes and does the best they can. And especially when you've got limited offenses like this Lakers team, they're just gonna make everything extremely difficult for them. Lakers forced their way to the rim a few times and managed to get to, what, 52 points, I think, in the first half, but they couldn't score easily at all in the second half outside of their bizarre fake comeback at the end. I wanted to take a – we're going to get to a, a bunch more Warriors stuff here in a second, but I, 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 you have to talk about the Lakers shooting. I said over the summer this is the worst shooting roster in the entire NBA. That was proven tonight. They're going to have a lot of bad shooting nights. You know, the Lakers could go into the locker room and be like, man, we just didn't make shots tonight. But judging by the roster construct, they're going to not make shots a lot of the time. That's just the reality of their predicament. You know, and, and what was funny is in this particular game, even their good to slightly above average shooters, guys like LeBron, you know, Patrick Beverly, Kendrick Nunn, they didn't shoot well early on. Uh, Patrick and and uh, uh, I think Pat made one three at the end. Kendrick and LeBron made a few threes in the second half when the game was over. But when those guys don't shoot well, they're going to start two for 20 from three. And they're going to – you just can't win basketball games that way. And we don't have to go – I mean, I, we, I, like, it's, it's basic spacing stuff. You know, the, the, the Warriors, just like the Lakers and a lot of other teams, they dig really hard out of the strong side. So if LeBron's on the left wing or if Steph's on the left wing and they come off of a ball screen towards the middle, the guy on the right wing, the guy who's defending him is digging down to the free throw line to dissuade that drive, to stop the guy from getting downhill. The difference is, is when the Lakers do that, they're giving up threes to above average quality three-point shooters against most teams in the league. But when the Warriors do that to the Lakers, that's Russell Westbrook on the right wing. They will live with him shooting that all night long. 
And yeah, you know what? He made one on the left wing in the in the in the first half, and he did like a you know unloading the gun celebration. Dude, you're a career twenty nine percent three point shooter. They will they they are happy you made that because it means you're just going to take more of them. You know, it, it obviously is going to impact them on spacing. And then a big part, like the Lakers had good stretches of defense in this game. Several good stretches of defense. Darvin Ham has them competing. They're getting into the ball to make ball handlers uncomfortable. They're chasing over the top of screens. Their bigs are packing the paint. They're going to shut down the paint. They're going to make things tough on the ball handler. Here's the problem. If you brick 33-point shots in a game, you're not going to set your defense. And they're going to run it down your throat and get easy stuff when your defense isn't set. And you saw as the wheels came off in that game, it largely came from bad offense and the Lakers not being able to set up their defense. The, re- the, real- the reality of that predicament is Rob Palinka and Jeannie Buss knew this going into this summer. What was Rob's response when they questioned him in training camp? He said, oh, well, they're just going to have to get better. Well, that's not going to happen. It takes thousands and thousands and thousands of reps over months and months and months to improve as a three-point shooter. This team will not shoot much better over the course of the season. This is what they have. They had the opportunity to package Russ with two first-round picks to bring back some quality shooting. They opted not to do so because they believe there's some better deal down in the future. The problem is, is you just lost this game. You're going to be under 500 through 13 games because nine of those 13 games are against teams that are better than you right now. And so even if you do get something better, how does that affect you in the seeding? How does that affect your continuity? This was the Rob Palinka and Jeannie Buss set these guys up for failure. And, and that, that's a huge part of this story tonight, and it needed to be addressed. We're going to talk a little bit more about Russ here in a few minutes, but I want to, you know, the Warriors won the game and they deserve to get more focus. Um, there's two guys particular on the Warriors that I wanted to spend some time talking about, Andrew Wiggins and James Wiseman. Wiggins, to me, is firmly the second best player on this team. He was unbelievably destructive to the Lakers on defense tonight. He holds up on switches like we were talking about earlier, getting deflections all over the place, applying ball pressure to make people feel uncomfortable. He is so much more than a 3 and D player. And it's funny because to get a contract like he got, you just need to be a 3 and D player. Kind of like Mikhail Bridges is, right? But like, I mean, this is a <laughs> this is a legit 41% catch-and-shoot three-point shooter who also is one of the best perimeter defenders in the league. So he's got the 3 and D stuff checked, but he's also like a legit scorer in this league. He hit back-to-back-to-back ISO threes in LeBron's face, in Anthony Davis's face, and in Russell Westbrook's face to stop that fake comeback in the fourth quarter. Just stared LeBron in the face, hard step back dribble with his left hand, knocked it down. Same thing against Anthony Davis on the left wing, and then Russ just giving him too much space there at the top of the key. He is a legitimate scorer in this league. He can rescue possessions with complex shot making. He can consistently punish mismatches. If you put a smaller defender on him, he can take him all the way to the rim or he's got a really nice little step back around 15 feet. And he's excellent attacking closeouts and he applies a ton of rim pressure. Like I said, with the tracking data from last year, he was third in the team in drives. And we've talked a ton about all the benefits of rim pressure. It's a huge part of what makes a basketball team work. So he deserves every penny and more of what he got in that deal. And he continues to be one of the more undervalued players on that team. Um, James Wiseman. I thought, I thought he looked outstanding tonight. 
Um, I was concerned a little bit about him after what I saw in summer league. I thought he was a little bit afraid of the physicality, um, you know, like fading on hook shots, things along those lines. But then he had some upsides and some downsides. Like it was just classic young player stuff. And bigs in general are a little bit slower to develop. But from what I've seen in preseason and what I saw tonight, like he's right now a legitimate center in this league for the role player center, not like the MB Jokic kind of thing, but for a guy who does what a center needs to do in the modern NBA, which is screen and dive hard to the rim, you know, defend at the rim and drop coverage, hold your own on the occasional switch, punish the occasional mismatch. He's already good at that stuff. He's already good at that stuff. He defended the rim really well tonight. He stopped LeBron a few times in that first half in particular, he was legit causing LeBron problems at the rim. He bothered every Laker. He was crashing the offensive glass on the offensive end, rolling hard to the rim, catching stuff and finishing everything. He's already good. If he can figure out some isolation scoring and become a knockdown shooter, he could be basically like a better version of DeAndre Ayton. And that's a really exciting prospect for the Warriors, especially if this Draymond thing ends up crunching him out and he doesn't end up getting a deal and they end up having to let him go. You know, at this pace, I would feel a little bit more comfortable with that in the future. Not for this season. You need Draymond this season. But in the future, Wiseman is beginning to look like the kind of guy that you can plug into that spot. It'll be a different team. It's a totally different look. He's not the same type of player as Draymond. But you can functionally build a basketball team around him as an anchor, from what I can tell so far. Okay, so we got to hit on the Lakers' big three before we move on to the next game. Um, Russ had some moments tonight. I think he had 18 points. He made some plays. He got to the rim and made some made some layups. But you got to look at the total picture of the way he impacts the basketball team. Like for instance, like I was talking about, how do you apply a, a, a like a, a value quotient to the fact that when he's on the right wing and LeBron has the ball, that his defender just digs down to the free throw line every time? Like, how does that show up on the box score? I struggled listening to Reggie Miller tonight, as I'm sure many of you guys did. And as he's preaching the Russ plays hard all the time and, oh, you know, he put up 18, eight and seven last year. You'd be so thrilled if you got 18, eight and seven. It's never been about the counting stats with Russ. It's never been about that. It's been about how it's been about the fit. It's, it's the concept of diminishing returns. What Russ is good at offensively, you don't need that much because LeBron's just better than him at it. And then what they actually need from a complimentary player from LeBron and AD, he's not good at. He's a 29% career three-point shooter. The, every team in the league is going to live with him taking those shots. Smoked a bunch of layups tonight. Had some unfortunate turnovers. Stepped out of bounds again, which he's had issues with the sideline this entire season so far. Who knows what's going on there? But again, like Russ made some plays, but it's the concept of diminishing returns. If you flip him for two players or three players that actually complement LeBron James and Anthony Davis's skill sets, you might find yourself in a better position than they were tonight. And I, 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 I don't, you guys know my rule. I'm not going to talk much about Russ. Uh, I'm going to try to avoid that topic as much as possible. And hopefully he's not a Laker soon and we won't have to talk about him. But at this point, Rob and Jeannie brought him back. They're putting him through this again. And Right now, they're digging themselves in a hole they might not be able to dig out of. And hopefully, they end up getting rid of him sooner than later so that everyone can move on from this. Uh, two really quick notes. LeBron had a rough night, but he's had a rough night on opening night almost every single year since he came to the Lakers. I think last year was the only year he played well 
on opening night. He's always a guy that kind of plays his way into rhythm, plays his way into shape. Early in the season, he's not as aggressive looking for a shot, although he did score uh, 31 tonight. Uh, most of those points were in garbage time when the game was actually in question. LeBron wasn't good tonight, but I'm not worried about that. He's the last guy on this team that you need to worry about. AD looked really good in the first half, but I thought he struggled in the Warriors' physicality in the second half. Everybody's playing them w- their way into shape. I didn't even think the Warriors, starred play- Warriors stars played exceptionally well. Um, that's all I have from this particular game. Like I said, we're going to dive a lot into the film from this tomorrow. So keep an eye on my Twitter feed at underscore Jason LT for film analysis. And then we'll have another show. I haven't decided yet when tomorrow's show will be. Got to talk to the wife. Maybe we'll try to squeeze something in at night. We'll figure it, we'll figure it out. Uh, but keep an eye on the feeds tomorrow. We'll get further into this game. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere. Like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. We are welcoming a new show to iHeart and the DraftKings YouTube channel. It is called Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano. It is an insider's look at the NBA and the culture surrounding the league. Every week, the five-time All-Star and number one pick in the 2010 NBA Draft, John Wall will give his unique perspective on the hottest topics in the league and tell the best behind-the-scenes stories from his time in the NBA. CJ will bring his A-list comedian buddies to keep it light and fire off some hoops takes. Plus, John will be inviting current and former NBA players, friends, and teammates to join the show as well to give their unfiltered accounts of what really goes on in the league from a player's perspective. So check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yeah, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Tip off the NBA season with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. New customers get $150 in free bets guaranteed when you place your first $5 bet. Plus, FanDuel is the only sportsbook that's giving all customers three months of NBA League Pass when they make a $5 bet on the NBA. Then you can watch all the action as you bet on everything from money line to point spreads to totals. I've talked about a lot of futures over the course of this summer. The one I like the most right now is Giannis to win the MVP. Get great odds on it. Luka doesn't really make a ton of sense to me because I don't think the Mavericks are going to win enough games. The Bucks are going to win a ton of games. Giannis is going to put up crazy numbers and advanced metrics that the voters like so much. And he hasn't won since 2020. So he's fresh in the minds of the voters. I really, really like Giannis to win MVP. So don't miss out on your chance to get $150 in free bets plus three months of NBA League Pass with promo code Jason T. Make every moment more with FanDuel, the official sportsbook partner of the NBA. Before we move on to Philly, Boston, don't forget, we're going to take a couple questions, one or two questions from the chat after talking Philly-Boston. So make sure you guys drop some questions in there. So 
Um, Boston's offense looked great tonight. They had a couple of ugly stretches, particularly in that first quarter, but overall they looked great. And I thought this was a huge part of the upside that comes with Robert Williams being out. This is a huge part of uh, some of the stuff I talked about over the summer and how, you know, uh, Robert Williams, I I do think the Celtics are good with him, but I think they're just as good without him. And because on the defensive end with what Rob Williams brings, he also freelances a lot and can get out of position. And he's actually responsible for a lot of their defensive breakdowns from last year's playoff run because he'll just randomly double a guy who doesn't need to be doubled. Like he randomly doubled Draymond Green a bunch in the finals in the post. Or he'll just, uh, you know, freelance randomly to to uh, help too far off of Kevon Looney. He'll get another offensive rebound, like that kind of stuff. But also on the offensive end of the floor, Vertical spacing is real. Vertical spacing is a legit form of spacing, but it's nowhere near as good or as effective as real five-out spacing. And when Robert Williams is out, because of how good of a shooter Al Horford is, they just lean into real five-out basketball. And when you're playing a team like the Sixers in particular, you know, Joel Embiid is a good defensive center when you can keep him around the basket. But if you really space him out the way that the Celtics did, you're going to get driving lanes all night long. You know why? Because Tyrese Maxey is not a good defensive player and James Harden is not a good defensive player. So if Joel Embiid's going to become a less effective version of himself on the perimeter and I've got two other bad perimeter defenders out there, it doesn't matter how good Tobias Harris is. It doesn't matter how good P.J. Tucker is. You're going to give up driving lanes all game long. And they did. I thought Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum were fantastic. They combined for 70 points. They both had incredible stretches of basketball in last year's postseason. And they're picking up right where they left off. They didn't play this well over the course of last year's season. It was the defense that drove everything. They didn't even really shoot that well in the spring. You know, consistency is key with them. They go through these bad stretches. But if they get to the point, because the the good version of Jalen Brown is a fringe top 10 basketball player. He's just not consistent enough, right? And then Jason Tatum, in my opinion, is absolutely a top 10 basketball player. If they both consistently play like top 10 players, they're the best team in the league because they have the best defensive personnel in basketball, which we'll get to in a minute. You know, in order to force Boston to reveal their ugly side on offense, you have to contain the basketball. This is what the Warriors did so well in the 22 finals, the 2022 finals over the last three games. They finally figured out how to contain Tatum and Brown largely through Klay Thompson kind of solving Jalen's dribble package and figuring out he loves to drive left and he could absorb that contact and force him to take bad jumpers. And then Wiggins just, you know, (laughs) what he did to Luka and what he did to Tatum over the course of the last two rounds of the playoffs is, you know, one of the big reasons why the Warriors have the trophy. But like if you, if you, you have to contain the basketball against Boston to bait them into their ugly tendencies where they start to jack up bad shots or fail to get into their driving kick. And the Sixers just don't have the personnel to do that. It's a really, really bad matchup for them. And then, you know, the other thing that was killing uh, Philly in this game is, you know, for starters, they were throwing the ball all over the court. They were, they only had 14 turnovers, which is not terrible, but it led to 22 points because James Harden and Joel Embiid are so quick to just kind of let off the gas and not sprint back in transition defense. They got outscored in fast break points, 24 to two in this game. And the other thing that keeps killing them on the defensive end of the floor is Joel Embiid falling down under his offensive basket and Boston pushing the ball the other way. Then when Philly was on offense, very, very stagnant, very little movement. This is a brute force offense. They've never been really, you know, they've never been really inventive with the stuff that they try to do with the basketball. 
But at the same time, they've got such talented two stars that they're going to find well four stars with their top four players. They've got such talent, so much top end talent that they're going to find a way to score. And early in that game, their shot making saved them. James Harden making a ton of shots. Tyrese Maxey made a lot of shots. Uh, Tobias Harris was playing really well in that first half. But that stagnant, that stagnant offense eventually came back to bite them in that second half when Boston's defense really locked in. And that's where I want to get into Boston's defense. You know, every one of the top four teams that we talked about, you know, Golden State, Boston, Milwaukee, and the Clippers, they all have significant strengths and significant weaknesses. This is not a a league with a perfect team at the top. I think Golden State's the smartest team. The Clippers are the best drive and kick team. The Bucs have the most imposing interior size. And the Celtics have the best defensive personnel. That's an oversimplification. There's a lot much more. There's a lot more. But those are some of their core identities, right? Well, the Boston's Boston just flat out has the best defensive personnel in the league. Everyone can contain the ball at multiple positions. Even Marcus Smart and Derek White can guard up a position. Everyone can play the passing lanes. Everyone can help at the rim. Everyone can dig down on ball handlers for steals. They swarmed Philly from the start and made them feel uncomfortable. They did one of the things I thought was they did two particular like strategic things tonight that I thought were really smart to keep Philly off balance. One they never stayed consistent with their double teams of MB. Sometimes they doubled him on the dribble. Sometimes they doubled him on the catch. Sometimes they doubled him before the post entry. And they never did the same thing more than once in a row. They just kept changing that coverage to keep Embiid off of balance. And that, that, that's going to be a consistent problem that Embiid's eventually going to have to figure out. But that's just smart defense from Boston to kind of switch up their looks to keep them off balance. And then they did a lot of pre-switching with Blake Griffin. I tweeted out a link that uh, um, one of the other people that I follow on Twitter put out there. But essentially, every time James Harden would pull up Blake Griffin's man to set a ball screen to try to get him on a switch, they would just run another Celtic up there instead, and Blake would rotate to whichever player took his spot. So they're a very smart defense, and they have outstanding defensive personnel. That's their strength. If you can combine that with two top 10 players, which requires Tatum and Brown becoming uh, consistent, they're going to be a damn tough basketball team to beat. All right, so a couple of quick notes. James Harden, 35-8-7, and seven. 9 for 14 from the field, 5 of 9 from 3, hitting his step back, 12 from 12 from the free throw line, getting there plenty. There was a specific reason why I thought he'd have a revenge season. He's 32 years old. And he hasn't suffered a significant joint injury, like a torn ACL or Achilles or something like that. He got fat, dude. He got fat. It happens. It happened to me too. I'm 31. I'm noticing these changes for myself. I used to be able to eat whatever the hell I wanted, never put on any weight. And then in my late 20s, I'd put on some weight when I'd stop playing. But then as soon as I'd start playing, I'd drop the weight immediately. But then I went to Alaska with my wife for two weeks this summer, and I came back 17 pounds heavier. And I haven't dropped it since <laughs> I'm, I've lost about half of it, but it's like, it's been like a, like a, a an incredibly difficult journey to drop this weight. Cause my body's just not the same as it used to be. James Harden used to be able to live and like work hard, play hard. And what he's learning is now that he's in his early thirties, if he works hard, plays hard, then his body's going to carry a little bit extra weight. His hamstrings not going to hold up as well as it used to. And I think he learned that lesson and he had, you know, the struggle of humility from having a couple of rough seasons. And so I really expected a still firmly in his prime James Harden to come back this season in great shape 
and to play great. And again, this is just one game, but it's a good start. And I know everyone's like, even Charles Barkley at halftime was like, oh, he's making a step back jumper. That's not real. That's not something that they can really take to the bank. I disagree. I think that his legs are a big part of why he was making his step back jump shot tonight. Having his legs underneath him as a conditioned athlete in peak shape is going to help him in every single facet of his game. It gives him that little bit of extra burst on that first step that keeps the defender on his heels. That in turn opens up separation for him to get to his step back. And then the step back three in and of itself is a super athletic move. You have to cover a lot of ground and then go straight up and down and get really good lift to knock down a 26-foot jump shot. You need your legs for that kind of thing. And when he was out of shape, didn't quite have that burst, defenders coming up on him more. Now he's not getting as much separation, and then he's not getting as much lift on the shot. So him getting his legs back, that's naturally going to lead to him getting more separation on those shots, getting to the rim more. And he had plenty of bursts. There was a really nice, nasty, like double crossover move. He hit on Grant Williams to get all the way to the rim in the second half. I, I think he's poised for a great season. Now his defense was absolutely atrocious, but that's kind of a prime James Harden thing too now, isn't it? Um, Joel Embiid. He's got to figure out how to handle double teams. Now, I get that you could make a highlight reel from this game with five or six passes that he made that were good passes. He made some good plays out of the double team. But why did Boston continue to do so? Because surrounding all those plays were a whole lot of post-ups where nothing happened. Meanwhile, LeBron, Luka Doncic, Nikola Jokic, as a peer of Embiid's, never get double teams because they consistently make you pay every single time you do so. And, you know, there's a difference between just getting the ball out from a double team and then consistently making a pass on time and on target to the shooter that can make them pay. There are a lot of times where Embiid, Anthony Davis does this a lot too. It's a big problem that I have with big men in general, but they get the ball, the double team comes, and they're kind of just panicking, and they're just looking for somebody to get rid of the basketball to. And every once in a while, they'll make a nice play, but a lot of them are just swing passes back out to the perimeter and nothing happened. He, they, you could see it in his body language in that fourth quarter. He's frustrated. He doesn't like playing basketball when it's like that. It, it frustrates him. And I get that. No one wants to just sit there and face double teams all night long. But until he shows that he can consistently beat that double team, teams will continue to do it to him because it's just a way better option than letting him on an island, flop all over the place, shoot 14 free throws a game, and score 37 points. And that on-time, on-target thing is the key way to do that. You have to be patient in allowing the double to come to you. Quickly identify who the shooter is that's open or the cutter that's open and you have to hit them on a rope in the shooting pocket. Because if you don't, they will rotate to the shooter, and now the double team was effective. That's the underrated part of passing that we look over when we're talking about LeBron, Luka, and Nikola Jokic, and Chris Paul, and guys like that. They are so relentless in making the, the pass on time and on target that they consistently make you pay. There are a lot of guys that can make the reads but they can't make the pass because it's just a step too slow. They see the read, but it's a split second too slow or because now they've picked up their dribble and the double team left and they're rotating back. It just, he was frustrated by it, but that's not going to go away until he figures it out. 
he will have to find a way to eventually start beating those double teams or every team in the league will do it to him. Really quickly before we uh, take our questions, that dust up at the end, I thought it was hilarious. A couple things. That's just flat out dirty play from Joel Embiid trying to pull out Marcus Smart's shoulder. I thought it was a dirty play. But I did think it was hilarious, the kind of altercation that took place after. Smart's quote, he said his reaction showed maturity because I could have cracked his head open, but I didn't. There was a hilarious moment where Jalen Brown's like pointing at Joel Embiid while backpedaling away from the scrum. The entire NBA fan base can see through that crap. No one wants to fight. You're all a bunch of really successful guys. You have too much to lose. There's just, it just, I wish at some point NBA players would figure out that we can see through that stuff. All right, we are going to bring the secret hero of this show, Mr. Ryan Brumley, on to get some questions from the audience. That's high praise. Unnecessary, but but very high <laughs> praise. Um, speaking on Philly, Kyle Rector asked, a few teams seem one piece away from being scary good, Philadelphia included. What potentially tanking team has a piece that you can see working with Philly? Oh, man. I, okay, I know this is going to be an unsatisfying answer, Kyle. But uh, I don't think it's a talent issue. I think that the Sixers have the best top four in the NBA. James Harden, Joel Embiid, um, Tyrese Maxey, and Tobias Harris. P.J. Tucker and Daniel House directly address some of their toughness concerns. The, there's no magic piece that fix this, fixes this. The, the thing that puts the Sixers over the top is Joel Embiid and James Harden having a dominant playoff run. And I get that that can seem discouraging because James Harden is the worst playoff performer of this generation. But hey, I used to make fun of Paul George for losing five consecutive playoff series. And then he was one of the best players that I've seen in, a, in, in that 2021 playoff run when he dragged the Clippers to win to within two games of the NBA Finals. So the reality of the situation is, is this is a, if James Harden plays like I expect him to play this season and Joel Embiid is healthy, learns how to manage the double teams, stays active and engaged for a whole playoff run, I think they have enough. Now, matchups are going to be part of it, but that's the same for every team in the league. The Warriors beat the Celtics. They might have lost to the Bucks, right? You know, like it's all about matchups with this kind of thing. I, I don't like that Philly-Boston matchup. It's a really bad matchup for them because of their ability to double and recover, their ability to push them out to the perimeter and beat them off the dribble. But then again, if they run into, you know, maybe maybe they're a fantastic matchup for Milwaukee and maybe Milwaukee beats Boston. You know, like there, there's no perfect team. Matchups are going to be a big thing here, but I don't I don't necessarily, like they didn't even use Matisse Thibault tonight, really. So, I mean, this is not a talent issue for Philly. They just need their stars to play better. Sticking with Philly here, uh, Eugene Isakov asked, do you think ISO-heavy playing style of Harden, Maxi, and Bede could help Philly to win a lot, or do they need to play more team-friendly basketball because players today have been out of rhythm? So I think it'll hurt them in the regular season. Um, you guys know my general philosophy with that, like brute force offenses, offenses that are very simple and rely on their stars to create the advantage. Those are impossible to stop in the playoffs because there's no magic schematic fix for dealing with what James Harden can do with the basketball or with what, I mean, Joel Embiid can be taken out with some doubles, but specifically with guys like James Harden, but even go beyond to like the 2020 Lakers and you're looking at LeBron James and Anthony Davis. They were one of the worst half court offenses during the regular season, but they played that same style in the, in the playoffs with LeBron and AD just kind of 
just bullying their way to the basket. And it turned out that you couldn't stop them in a playoff series. You know, I always will advocate for running actions and having more offensive organization to make basketball easy during the regular season. But aside from a few teams like the Heat and the Warriors, actions aren't winning you a title. Skim, uh, like offensive sets aren't winning you a title because they're going to scout those sets. They're going to do, they're going to switch everything. They're going to be ahead of those actions and it's not going to work. So uh, specifically for Philly, I'm not super concerned about it because their offense is more geared towards a playoff environment. All right, let's get back to the Warriors here. Uh, two dot underscore G ask, Hey Jason, do you think that Clay had more pop than his jump shot tonight? He will be a significant contributor this year. Last year, he had moments, but was still uh, recovering from all of his injuries. I thought Clay looked awesome tonight. Even the jumpers he was missing early. I, Pop is a really interesting way of describing it. I was, uh, I was trying. I was actually uh, uh, talking with a friend of mine, Tommy, about this earlier, and like, I, it's we call it like a dip in a jump shooter. Like, it, you want a natural dip as you rise up into a shot because it just kind of builds your rhythm for what I call energy transfer. If you don't have, if you don't have a good pathway of energy from your feet all the way up through your release, if there's a hitch, if there's anything that stops or makes it clunky, then you don't have the transfer of energy and the shot doesn't look good. And one of the night, one of the beautiful things about the way Clay Thompson plays is he's so good at getting into that dip so that he can transfer his energy. He missed a couple shots early, he also struggled uh, on a handful of possessions driving to the rim, but man, like <laughs> the other thing with Clay's dip is he it's it effectively sells his pump fake, and he's so good at like kind of dipping and pump faking to get the guy to run by, and he's like sneaky one of the best mid range shooters in the league as well. I think Clay looks great. If you're a Warriors fan, you should be feeling fantastic right now. I didn't even think they played well, and they beat the shit out of the Lakers, so you got to be feeling good right now. All right, last one. We'll only do one negative Lakers question because it's a long season. In just <laughs> one game, can you tell the difference between Ham's Lakers and Vogel's Lakers from last year? Absolutely. B- buy-in is a big part of it. Um, just having the – like, and this is not entirely Vogel's fault. Um, I think this is a phenomenon that happens a lot in sports, particularly with coaches that are very demanding. You see this with Tom Thibodeau, Thibodeau a lot. In the NFL, you see this with Bill Belichick. When you have – coaches that ask for really like labor intense, um, you know, expectations from their teams, they, they either have lots of roster turnover or they burn out of a location every couple of years for the, for the, 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 uh, Patriots, you literally see that with roster turnover, but like, it's just, I, I think Vogel burnt out the roster. Ham has them bought in. Now the other elements of it that I'm seeing are strong side help. Um, so, Vogel was big on chasing teams off the three-point line and packing the paint. The the Darvin Ham approach is more chasing the ball handler and leaving three-point shots open, funneling to all your help around the basket. It's kind of the idea of like, hey, let's be great at two things. Let's be great at stopping the ball handler, great at protecting the paint, and we'll live with the results of these role players making shots. You know, and that can that can that can win you a series when guys don't shoot well. You know, right? Especially if role players get sweaty palms and they just can't knock down the big shots. But it can also lose you a series like the Bucks did last year when the Celtics made like 39 threes or something crazy like that over the last two games of that series. So you're seeing that in there and on the defensive end. And then just in general, their offensive organization is, looks a lot better. Like with Vogel, they just they almost never ran sets. 
Um, you're seeing a ton of stuff out of horns. Don't pay too much attention tonight because Golden State has specific personnel to switch all the LeBron, AD, Russ dribble handoffs, which kind of shut down the Lakers' horns actions. But they do have much better, from what I could tell in preseason, they do have much better offensive organization as well. Ham, like, I, Frank Vogel is an outstanding coach when the situation is perfect for him. This situation is no longer perfect for him. They made the right move getting rid of him. Darvin Ham has done a really nice job so far. Like, again, it's one game. He's been dealt a terrible hand of cards in terms of a, a, a roster to work with. There's a trade to be made here. I, I think Darvin Ham is the least of the Lakers' problems. I think LeBron James and Anthony Davis are the least of the Lakers' problems. It's everything else around that that is the issue. All right, guys, that is all I have for tonight. First show in the books. I sincerely appreciate you guys supporting the show. Keep an eye on my Twitter feed tomorrow morning. I'll have some video footage that will be breaking down as well as some scheduling. I'm not sure when we'll go tomorrow because I, 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 it would be nice to get to at least some of the games from tomorrow evening. So we'll figure that out. We might even just release it on Thursday morning. So just keep an eye on the Twitter feed and we'll figure out those details later. As always, I appreciate you guys. It's going to be a hell of a ride and I will see you soon. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA.